The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, creatures versus video game bosses. We're matching some of the most iconic video game bosses with real-life creatures in a no-holds-barred match of wits, brawn, brain, and slime. Which members of the animal kingdom can travel to the Mushroom Kingdom and defeat Bowser? Is Echo the Dolphin really up to the task of defeating the final boss, or could he use some fishy friends? And could a mycologist take down the baddies from the most recent Resident Evil game? Discover this more as we answer the age-old question, Parasitic Isopod got your tongue? Joining me today is the creator of the wildly popular YouTube channel that translates real-life animal biology into video game terms, Patch from TierZoo. Welcome! Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am very excited to have you on for this episode. I think your videos are wildly entertaining. They're really cool. I love, I don't think it's a secret at this point that I'm a nerd kind of in every aspect of my life. <laughs> I love video games. I love animals. I really love sort of, I don't want to say gamification because I don't like that word, but taking sort of animal biology and putting it into terms that people who love video games can really understand. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to uh, rank some video game bosses versus animals with you. <laughs> so uh, first, I mean, we've got to go with Maybe the most iconic boss of all time. I I I don't want to put any video game bosses on blast here, but I think Bowser takes it right, King Koopa. Bowser is definitely a big bad that everyone knows. I think. Yeah, yeah. The Mario games feature Bowser as the main antagonist. He's that big spiky turtle-like fellow. Uh, he's king of the Koopas, which I guess is what those little turtles are. I only discovered that into my adult life. I just thought they were turtles that you jump on. But yeah, he, he frequently captures 
Princess Peach, and his life goals are to defeat Mario, become the ruler of the Mushroom Kingdom, and maybe go on a date with Princess Peach, which seems counterintuitive to the whole kidnappy thing, but, you know. I agree. Maybe not the best way to go about it. <laughs> and I think some of the recent Mario games have kind of addressed that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, Bowser, definitely a legend. All right. <laughs> a legend, just not in the dating sphere. So <laughs> perhaps not. Some of Bowser's strengths uh, are that he spits fire. That's pretty good. It's a pretty yeah, good move. Yeah, that's a strong ability for sure. Yeah, he's spiky. He got a lot of spikes, which you know we know is a good defense mechanism for a variety of animals. Uh, he's got horns and claws, and that that's good. That definitely helps him out. And he's big and strong. Yes, he's got a serious size advantage over most of his foes. Yes, Mario's... Especially Mario. Yeah, Mario's kind of a... He's a compact Italian plumber. He's a say. short king, for sure. He's a short <laughs> king, yeah. Uh, he's, you know, what he does lacks in size, he makes up in... I guess stomping ability, right? That's his main power, stomping. Yeah, I suppose so. Stomping and jumping. Yep, he's breaking necks, jumping on people's heads. (laughs) (laughs) We love a short Italian plumber king who steps on your neck. So uh, Bowser's weaknesses is, uh, well, there's his unrequited unhealthy infatuation with princesses, which, you know, that's more of a psychological (laughs) thing. You know, maybe yeah. he could get under his skin with some some comments about, you know, he's uh, he doesn't know how to how to talk to women. Uh, but other than that, his weakness is, I think, poor agility and flexibility. And he has this spot open on his tail that in Super Mario 64, you must grab that tail and spin him around to defeat mm-hmm. him. Based on these specifications, I think we're looking for a sturdy animal or a very agile animal that can outmaneuver him um, and something that can attack its prey's tails, maybe do spin attacks, maybe some brute strength. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, my mind kind of goes to the sorts of animals that... um, are the predators of turtles because Bowser is basically a dragon turtle. Right. Um, and I'm thinking like, I don't know, birds, like there are some birds that prey on turtles by like carrying them up into the air. And oh dropping yeah. Them. Yeah. But I love need that. A really big bird to do that. I love Bowser. it. <laughs> I love it when birds of prey just like, it's such a, it's so devious to pick up your prey and you're not doing anything to them yet, but you're just taking them higher and higher to drop down. Exactly. You're letting, you're abusing the, the physics of, of yeah. the real life, you know? You're letting gravity um, do the dirty work for you. Exactly. It's insidious. 100%. It's super intelligent. It's genius. Uh, you know, work smarter, not harder, right? <laughs> um, Murder smarter, but, not harder. Precisely. <laughs> But I don't think we're going to find any birds that can quite do that to Bowser. Maybe not. Bowser's Maybe not. A one-ton beast. But, you know, there are animals. So I, one thing I was looking for is strong grip, right? Because you you're going to need a strong grip. Because once you've got 
Bowser's tail, it's the game's over, right? You've got his tail. Yeah. He can't get. That's one of the things is even though Mario is teeny tiny, like he can't turn around because when Mario is attached to his tail, what's he going to do? Like burn his own tail off? No. Yeah. So are you thinking like crocodiles? Crocodiles is a very good one. Like if a croc bit a Bowser's tail, for sure that Bowser would be in a tough, tough spot. Pretty hard to get the crocodile off of you at that point. I think, yeah. So... With a crocodile, I think you would not have to make any modifications. You could just take a classic saltwater crocodile, pit it against Bowser, and in my opinion, the crocodile would win every time. What do you think? I think especially because if Bowser decides to use his fire breath attack, the crocodile could just like submerge itself under yes. the water. Absolutely. I, I guess in this hypothetical scenario, the croc has to also have water around it. And Bowser yeah. is, like, for whatever reason, wading through some swamp or river there, or something. There are water levels in Mario, right? There's lots of water. Exactly. Yeah. There are definitely water levels. There's yeah. definitely water levels. So, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about crocodiles, because this is actually one of my picks for who I think could defeat Bowser. So, crocodiles okay. are large reptiles found in aquatic environments all around the world, uh, most species of crocodile employ a devastating attack against their victims called a death roll, which I think would be a particularly effective attack against Bowser. So the death roll is the crocodile's way of attacking and devouring prey many times its size, such as a wildebeest, which is not an easy thing to eat, I think. even You imagine like crocodiles are pretty big but imagine trying to get like a wildebeest all in your mouth all at once it's impossible right you've never you've, you've never tried to chug a wildebeest <laughs> i can't say that i have no have you no i think the closest i've gotten is like trying to get a whole in and out burger like half of it in my mouth in one bite because it's really hot <laughs> one bite <by> challenge <laughs> <laughs> awesome i've done that with like donuts i don't think i've done it with a burger yeah, oh, it doesn't yeah. work very good with a burger, but I was really trying like a Guy Fieri bite with the burger. Okay, nice. One bite challenge. And then so of many course. regrets. I respect it. Yep. <laughs> the regrets are for later. That's a problem for a future Katie. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's for future Katie. Right now it's in and out Katie time. But for a crocodile, that's a real problem. Crocodiles don't really chew their food, do they? They don't they don't have the chewing muscles that other carnivores. They can't rip and tear. They don't have the grinding action that like omnivores like humans have. Like we can grind exactly. food. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I think if anything the crocodile would probably rip off Bowser's tail by doing the whole death roll thing. <laughs> it wouldn't really have much other options in order right. to actually eat Bowser. Yeah. So much of him is inside that shell which I don't think a crocodile would be really able to do much to even with its powerful bite i mean just because it's like a sphere like imagine trying to bite something round like that he'd have to hollow out bowser from the inside like get in there and pull the flesh chunks out from inside That's, the shell i suppose that that could definitely work I've seen some pretty <laughs> grisly looking uh wildlife videos of yeah like, yeah like hyenas getting all up in like a hippo yeah. or a elephant after killing it david attenborough narrating as you see like like a hyena just come out of a crevice of Bowser's yeah. eye hole, eye socket. 
But yeah, so because the crocodile doesn't chew its prey to break it down into smaller pieces, whatever it swallows, it has to swallow whole. For smaller prey, that's easy enough. It just chomps down, crushes it, and gulps it back like an In-N-Out burger. Um, and often uh, for bigger prey, the crocodile will actually drown its yeah. prey first. Because, you know, dead, drowned prey is easier to deal with than a kicking live prey that's going like, hey, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. So its jaws are great for gripping, bad for chewing. In fact, its yeah. jaw strength has a bite force of over 16,000 newtons, which I, you know, that's just a number, right? Like it's hard to put into perspective of what that is, but for comparison, a human grip is about 300 newtons. So, you know pretty good pretty tough to shake them off yeah yeah it's why when you put your hand inside a crocodile mouth it's usually not going to go good for you it's just yeah. not do not recommend that do not recommend i did find a video when i was researching this that i won't describe too much because i don't want people googling it but it's bad <laughs> don't put your okay, hand yeah. in a crocodile mouth people don't no. do it not if a good you want if you want your hand back yeah no. Don't, it, don't put it there. If you're not offering your hand literally to the crocodile to take for keepsies, don't do it. So <laughs> it will bite down, clamp down on its prey, and then do this death roll. So where it just spins, 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 like a video game attack. It, it's an incredible, like, because they're in the water, they have some buoyancy, some... Uh, more, I guess, agility than you would think such a large reptile would have. And they just spin around like a tornado and with that limb in their mouth and literally will twist it right off of the body of their prey. And uh, so they are able to then disassemble something like a wildebeest or maybe like a Bowser, chunk by chunk, such that they can just eat something much larger than itself. Uh, it would certainly be a pretty gruesome sight to watch. But yes. yeah, I think they could eventually take apart at least things that are outside of the shell. They could probably rip Bowser's limbs off. Which is a lot. Yeah, yeah it's his tail, his feet and arms, uh, head, those cute little like goth bracelets that he's got. He's got a lot of points of contact outside <laughs> of the shell, I think. Yeah, that's true. And in fact, the death roll hasn't always been used by crocodiles to tear prey up into little edible bits. It's actually thought to be a defensive combat move that they can also use to tear down prey. So there have been observations of crocodiles using this move when they're fighting some kind of aggressive other animal or other crocodile. So it's totally... Totally feasible that a crocodile would use this move on Bowser in a one-on-one -on -one fight. Definitely. I think given its home turf of a river or a swamp, I think a crocodile has a, would pose a pretty big threat to Bowser for sure. Yes, yes. I agree. And But that is maybe not the only animal that I think could take down Bowser. Now, uh... Let's say, isn't there a, there's a thingy that Mario can eat, right? In the game, one of the mushrooms that makes him real big. 
yeah, there's one that makes him big. There's a few other power-ups that give him uh, the ability to kind of fly or um, shoot fire himself. Ah, nice. But the big one is the most iconic for sure. That's like this. That's like the ghost pepper. <laughs> the ghost pepper mushroom yeah. story. He just he just shoots it out of his his uh, hands or his face. Yeah, he just kind of drops hands, it. I yeah. see. Not as well. Anyways, if you gave a meerkat one of those mushrooms that makes it real big, I think that Bowser would be complete toast because if Bowser's point of weakness is grabbing and attacking the tail, meerkats are just designed to fight dirty uh, and grab you by the butt. So. Meerkats are a species of social mongoose found in southern Africa. You know, they're Timon from The Lion King. Completely yep. accurate depiction. They all have <laughs> a Nathan Lane's voice. So they love to eat scorpions when given the opportunity. Uh, now, I've seen a lot of conjecture that like mongooses are, or sorry, meerkats are, well, meerkats are mongooses, but Nevertheless, meerkats, that they're immune to venom or to poison, Yeah, they have some resistance to venom and poison, which or venom and um, toxins, which is good because they do like to eat snakes and scorpions, but yep. they're, they're not completely immune. They could not survive being stabbed a bunch of times by a highly venomous scorpion. And they don't want to eat it. You know, it's just, it's a bad time for for the little meerkat that wants to eat a highly toxic arthropod. So instead what they do is when they want to eat a scorpion, they attack it from the butt side. They grab it by the stinger, rip off its entire backside, including the stinger. They discard the stinger and then just rub the poor little scorpion in the sand until it washes away all the toxins, uh, yep. and then they can enjoy this tasty snack. So, in my opinion, the fact that meerkats learn to do this like since they're babies means that if you scaled up a meerkat, you gave it one of those dubious magic mushrooms, and it was fighting size with Bowser, it would just gruesomely destroy and devour Bowser. Yeah, definitely. The the uh, agility that meerkats possess is pretty tough to, to beat. Now, I mean, there's a little bit of uh, asterisk next to the whole, like, if you make it bigger because you run into, like, the square cube law, everything, whether or not right. it can retain that agility while being right. giant. Right, um, but its, but but its vascular it could, system just sort of uh, immediately collapse under the weight of its new girth? Would it, you know... Uh, yeah, and the whole moment of inertia of having <laughs> limbs that are way longer what it's might make it harder snap to dash back not, and forth. Yeah, would it not get enough oxygen? Yeah, there's a lot of questions uh, when you scale things up. Yes, but uh, we can ignore all of that if need be, just to talk <laughs> about giant meerkats. So in your scenario, do are the meerkats, because you said that they're uh, very social animals, and that's oftentimes how they hunt snakes and everything. So in this scenario, is it just one meerkat versus Bowser? One giant meerkat? Or is it a whole posse of meerkats? If I think it's either or, right? To defeat Bowser, you could either have one giant meerkat or an army of regular-sized meerkats. 
because together okay. they're very good at teaming. Like they can take on a King Cobra together as a unit. Yeah. Which is very impressive. Now, they don't often fight uh, Cobras, which there's always something a little bit suspect to me when you see wildlife footage of like meerkats fighting a cobra because like they don't usually get into conflict like did someone just throw a cobra at them and yeah see they're not what going they out do? of their way to find the most dangerous things they possibly can yeah yeah and like yeah. sort of staging something for uh for dramatic television effect maybe <laughs> uh, nevertheless, they do they do team up and fight snakes by forming a united front as a team because they are highly social. So I think a team of meerkats could do it, or one giant meerkat. Uh, and my last contender maybe is something you wouldn't necessarily think of, but it has pound for pound an incredibly strong grip. One of the strongest grips in the world, it is the coconut crab. So mm. the coconut crab is a large ter large terrestrial crustacean found on islands and coasts in the Indian Ocean and parts of the Pacific Ocean. They look like a weird big crab. They're actually more closely related to hermit crabs than actual crabs. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of carcinization? I certainly have. <laughs> I've considered making a video on the subject. Oh, you must. I mean, <laughs> it is inevitable. We all shall become crabs one day. Carcinization is the term for the repeated parallel or convergent evolution of arthropods into crab form, which apparently is the most desirable of forms in all of nature is to be crab. So, yeah. 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 I've started scuttling just in preparation for the future. <laughs> Get with the times. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the coconut crab, not really a crab, more of a hermit crab. Uh, it is a crustacean. They're huge. The fact that they are so big and live on land is a little bit disconcerting. They can weigh up to nine pounds or four kilograms and grow up to three feet or one meter in length. So intimidating. I'm intimidated. Uh, I wouldn't want to mess with one. No. no thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. So researchers, God bless our uh, natural biology researchers, they collected about 30 coconut crabs and measured their pinches with, they look like these metal tubes that the coconut crabs would pinch, and then it would measure the force of those big pinches. And uh, they found that they were able to pinch with a force of over 1,700 newtons. So again, human grip, only 300 newtons. A coconut crab, the size that it is, can grip at almost six times that of a human. And so if you scaled a coconut crab up to the size of, say, uh, an average size, maybe a little bit short human plumber, he could grip with six tons of force. Yeah, Which, I'm thinking yeah. that might be enough to do a number on Bowser's shell. I think so. I think he could, not only could he grab the tail and toss Bowser like a limp rag, he could just crack open that shell like a little pistachio. So right. <laughs> that's like the whole reason they're called coconut crabs, right? Is because they could shatter yeah. coconuts with their just the sheer force of their grip. You know, I've never even questioned their name, but that sounds right to me. 
I totally made that up. I could be <laughs> totally wrong. Um, I believe it you. Sounds right. It sounds right to me as well. I believe you. <laughs> so one of the researchers, uh, marine biologist Shin Ichiro Oka, was pinched by one of the test subject coconut crabs and said, Ooh. quote, while it was only a few minutes, I felt eternal hell. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, thank you. I would not want to be him. No, no. Brave souls to invite a bunch of coconut crabs over to test their pinches. Uh, yeah. Seriously, I, I was just in Costa Rica and even picking up little little hermit crabs on the beach. Yeah. I would get a little nervous if I grabbed like a particularly big one and it would try to pinch me. It can hurt. It can hurt bad. <laughs> so imagine one that's 2,000 times as big. No, thank you. You had one as well? I had a little tiny hermit crab as a kid, uh, even though they don't really make good pets. But I was a kid. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah of course. Uh, and it, uh, its favorite thing to do, probably it was looking for a different shell than the one that I had provided to it, thought it was lame. Mm -hmm not the right size, which is a tricky thing. If you have a hermit crab pet, you need to provide it with many different shells because it gets bigger Absolutely. and needs to pick out a new shell. It's going to be picky. So I think, oh, They're like, very picky. Yeah. like this one is a good size for it, not according to it. So it would crawl in my armpit and like pinch really hard in there oh, uh, no. <laughs> because I think it was like trying out my body as a new shell, like testing the structural integrity of my armpit. But that hurt, so I can't imagine <laughs> 1,700 newtons of force, which, yowzers, uh, that, yeah, quite a strong handshake. Yeah, leave a mark for sure. <laughs> you know those competitive business handshakes? Uh, yes, like basically the kind of handshake that your girlfriend's dad gives you the first time yes. he meets you, that yes. kind of thing, yeah. Yes, <laughs> calls you sport, grabs yeah, your hand in a vice-like grip. Just yep. so you know, just so you know the pecking order. <laughs> Don't date a coconut crab because a coconut crab right. dad could just <laughs> crush your hand into a pulverized smoosh. Absolutely. <laughs> the Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. All right, so our next video game boss is... The Vortex Queen from Echo the Dolphin. Now, this is maybe not as well known of a boss, but I had to include it because this is one of the times when a video game boss is actually defeated by an animal. And I want to question the choice of protagonist in this video game. So, Echo the Dolphin was a 1992 Sega Genesis adventure game featuring Echo the Dolphin, who is a dolphin that jumps real good and is on an adventure to find a, its missing pod of dolphins. So I actually did not play this game as a kid because I didn't have the Sega Genesis. I've never played it at all, but I might have to see if I can find an emulator for it because it sounds very unique. I never heard about this. It is, I read, I went down a, a fandom wiki hole on this one, and it's an interesting plot. I mean, like, when okay. I saw artwork for this game, I was like, yeah, it's about a dolphin who jumps real good. But it's got aliens and time travel in it. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Every game needs that. <laughs> so there are, in this game, your pod goes missing, your pod of dolphins. There are all these weird weather phenomenons like sudden storms and water spouts, which turn out to be the fault of an alien race of parasites known as the Vortex. So Echo the Dolphin must travel through time to collect powerful orbs to help defeat the Vortex Queen and rescue the planet and Echo's pod of dolphins. So the Vortex Queen is a giant alien head that lives in the deep sea with anglerfish-like jaws and huge black eyes. She attacks her enemies by using strong suction to pull creatures into her mouth and devours them instantly. She can summon vortex jellyfish and vortex drones to attack the player, all the while trying to suck you right into her mouth. So to defeat the vortex queen, Echo must first destroy her eyes with sonar and then break off her jaw and then break her skull. Whoa. That's yeah. so violent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for a fun game about dolphins, it's uh, pretty violent and pretty uh, pretty intense. Like this Vortex yeah. Queen, the the pixel art of it, it's bonkers. It's like it does look like a terrifying deep sea creature kind of fused with like an alien skull, which is definitely not probably what the many thousands of grandmas who picked this game out for their kid like thought was going to be. In this Probably game about dolphins. 
just jumping and swimming and killing alien giant heads down deep in the mm. sea. <laughs> you know, standard, jolly good time. Oh, standard yeah. marine fun times. So the issue I have with this, I mean, they try to explain away some of the things with Echo the Dolphin. Like he time travels and picks up magic orbs so that he can breathe underwater without, because dolphins are mammals. They got to breathe sometimes. So they can't, uh, unlike maybe some larger cetaceans like a sperm whale or a blue whale, they really can't go that deep and spend that much time uh, deep down uh, without surfacing to breathe. Um, so Echo really shouldn't be down there. Uh, they try to explain it away with magic, but that's not good enough for me. Also, uh, <laughs> dolphin sonar is not a weapon. It is a sensory tool. Yeah. It uses clicks to bounce sound off objects and form a map of their surroundings. These clicks don't do anything really to harm other animals unless it confuses some other cetacean that is also trying to find yeah, something. Yeah, as far nearby. as sonic weapons go, uh, there are much more dangerous sonic blasts in the animal kingdom. I mean, <laughs> like even even just like the shriek of a parrot, I think is potentially almost as loud as like a gunshot and that can definitely mess with your ears if you're too close or the pinch of a um mantis peacock mantis shrimp is going to be sure yeah not really yeah, a absolutely. sonic weapon but it's definitely it's a shock wave it's a shock wave yeah, yeah exactly but no yeah the sonar doesn't really do anything this is a very hyped up sort of havana syndrome-esque uh, situation with that guy yeah. the dolphin really promising much more of a sonic weapon then, and dolphin can really do. Uh, so, in my opinion, uh, dolphin is not really the best animal for the job, even a magic time-traveling dolphin. Uh, of course, dolphins have a lot of strengths that I should not downplay. Like, they are intelligent. They're great at teamwork. Very yeah. strong abs. Have you ever seen the abs of a dolphin? Uh, I can't say that I have, no. I mean... But I guess if you're doing all that yeah. constant, like, you're basically just doing crunches in order to move. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's gym goals. I guess it makes sense. It's up on my gym goals board. I want to have the abs of a dolphin. They are <laughs> agile, and in groups of uh, dolphins, they are capable of forming bubble nets and sand nets, which would be very useful for trying to defeat an alien queen. Unfortunately, within the context of the story... Uh, Echo's dolphin buddies have been kidnapped by the aliens. So, oh, uh, right. And so my thinking is that Echo's going to need to get a team together and think outside of his dolphin group and find like a marine team of creepy ocean critters where you have like a cool montage of Echo going around to all these different marine animals and they're like, God damn it, I'm in. And then they <laughs> play some music and they get in like a submarine van thing. And yeah. Right. So the team needs to be able to defeat the Vortex Queen in the three stages that the player needs to defeat the Vortex Queen. It has to attack the eyes, the mouth, and then the skull. So. Yeah. And to be able to deal with all the little minions, right? All the little minions. So the Vortex Queen was summoning like jellyfish. So I was thinking. If it's got to deal with jellyfish, maybe a, a marine turtle, a sea turtle. Yeah. Pretty good. 
for that. They love yeah. to eat jellyfish. So they can maybe clear the way. Yeah, because they, they eat jellyfish, right? Exactly. And so, I mean, in, in order to even get to the to the final boss, right? you wouldn't want to be swimming through jellyfish and take a whole bunch of stings and die from poison before you even have the chance. Yeah, exactly. So, so you got you got your turtle squad who clears out yep. the minions. There you go. Perfect. And then you need something to attack the eyes. I'm okay. thinking for that, the copepod Omatakoita elongata. Have you heard of this? No, it's just like, so a copepod, that's like a really, really microscopic crustacean, yes. right? It's, they can be microscopic, so they can be zooplankton, and sometimes they can be larger such that they're visible with the naked eye, usually under okay. about an inch, still very small. Okay, so real tiny. Real tiny, but copepods are a class of crustaceans. And, and like you said, they're often really tiny, like zooplankton size. But this one, the O. elongata, is little like worm size, like under an inch long, little pink. Um, they're kind of a weird Y shape. They look like a worm that has two little noodle legs. It's actually kind of funny. And they are parasites that attach themselves to the eyes of their host feeding on their eye tissue, and impairing their vision. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> I would not want to be that thing's victim. Its typical wow. host is one of the largest and oldest living sharks, the Greenland shark. So, this, yeah, you know, these Those are guys... the ones that live like, like half a millennia, basically, yes. for like four or 500 years. Exactly, cool. yes, Ancient, ancient. So they'd give like the vortex queen a run for her money in terms of, you know, old okay. eldritch creatures that lurk in the water. I feel like you could also go for like a swordfish or a marlin or something. Oh, yeah. Just, just to just poke it, the like, eyes out. Poke them in the eye if you need to do that's that. That's a much more straight. Yeah, that's a much more straightforward method, I feel like. It's, it might get the job done a little quicker if these parasites a, take a little while to set right. up shop and destroy the eye tissue on the you other know, hand a quick, a quick stab is it as fun though like to slowly you know like plant those months in advance like you could have a spy <laughs> montage of these little copepods getting in there uh you definitely could <laughs> you're a little True. bit you're a little less devious than i am i think you're just like we go in we scoop its eyes out with a swordfish we go out yeah <laughs> <laughs> So there are some theories, actually, that the copepod and the uh, Greenland shark actually have a mutualistic relationship rather than a parasitic one. Oh, so you think it would betray the team. It's then. possible <laughs> it's because <a> traitor. <laughs> the copepod actually emits, a, uh, or at least a theory, I'm not sure exactly how much of this is proven, um, but they may emit a slight level of bioluminescence. And so the idea is, well, the Greenland shark doesn't really use its eyes much to hunt in the first place. So it could uh, use this bioluminescent of these copepods to draw fish closer to it and then ambush uh, using its uh, sense of smell to ambush these fish and eat them. That's Whoa. a theory. That's quite it a trade-off. I don't it know is. if I could uh, make that deal. Have your have your weird living eyeball tassels in exchange for uh, slightly easier meals? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'd yeah, do it. that's a tough call. <laughs> <laughs> I but, guess I wasn't using them, like you said. Yeah, like they, they use their sense of smell. Uh, it does feel like it'd be like kind of annoying. Like it always feels like you have something in your eye. Because you do. 
uh, exactly. It's a parasite. I always get eyelashes in my eyes, so I can't imagine uh, having to live yeah. with a, a crustacean hanging on. I hate eyeball stuff. I hate looking at uh, things. Like, <laughs> I can't. I have a glasses prescription, and people are like, well, why don't you wear contacts? It's like, no, n- never. I yeah, refuse. You're going to touch your eye every time you want to take yeah, it out. Yeah, Thanks. no, no, no. Those little Petri discs that you put on there, just waiting for some kind of voracious bacteria to grow on there. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so either with a swordfish poking the eyeball out or the copepod slowly but surely devouring the vortex queen's vision, let's say we've taken out her eyes. Next stage mm. is taking out her mouth. Now, Echo does this by, I guess, dismantling her jaw with sonar, which we've established is not really how sonar works. I, yeah, that'd be a really, really strong yeah. blast of sonic energy to break a bone. Yeah, yeah. That's, Especially a jawbone. That, it would be such a strong blast of sonic energy. I think it would destroy Echo in the process. It would just explode. Right, if it's being emitted from Echo's, like, face i assume or like it's little it's yeah they use they use the the mill in their head as like an echo chamber to uh help uh with the acoustics of these clicks it would explode its head yes i do think it would take some some area of effect damage there sure (laughs) a little bit of friendly fire so uh, instead of echo exploding his head with this mystery sonar i think we need a parasitic tongue isopod one of my favorite parasites the, oh, I don't like where you're going with this. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the Cymothior uh, exigua. It's also called a parasitic tongue louse. We've actually talked about this little lady on the show before. Have you heard of this uh, beautiful, beautiful tongue parasite? I have. And it is probably one of the most gut-wrenching things to ever think about. <laughs> this is the creature that essentially replaces the tongue of its, uh, its victim. Yes, exactly, exactly. So... I, <laughs> I feel like at this point I'm feeling really bad for this boss. <laughs> like, it, it, can keep, it can keep my friends. I'm not willing to go to these extreme, these extreme measures to torture this thing. To Subjecting take it down. <laughs> her to, like, and then it slowly devours her eyes. Right. And then this it is, replaces her tongue. This is a war crime at this point. <laughs> <laughs> this is psychological intimidation. The aliens are just going to pack up and leave Earth. It's like, whoa, you got tongue parasites down here? Never mind. Keep your right. dolphins. I'm out. I Keep didn't your sign up stinking for this. <laughs> dolphins. Jesus. Yeah, so see uh, Exwia, uh, or Exigua, I have so much trouble with that name. The tongue louse uh, will enter the gills of a fish and swim up to its tongue and cut off the blood supply to the tongue while sucking on that sweet, sweet fish blood tongue for its own self. And once it has consumed enough of the fish's blood, it will attach itself to the stub of the tongue because as it sucks the blood from the tongue, the tongue atrophies and withers and falls off, which is a fun, fun visual. Gross. And these little isopods, I mean, imagine like a pale white giant version of one of those little roly polies. That's what they look like. Kind of horrible. And when you open up one of these fish's mouth that has this uh, is infected with this parasite, you just see like this little parasite face staring out like the little alien tongue and aliens like, oh, hello. 
Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she will live there feeding off of the fish's blood and sometimes the fish's mucus. She's not picky and acts as the fish's replacement tongue because the fish literally has no choice. If it's going to eat, it's got to use this isopod as its tongue. And once she is ready to release her brood pouch, she abandons fish, and the fish actually dies without this parasite because it now has zero tongue. It, you know. Really? So the so you're saying the isopod is actually better than nothing. It's better than nothing. It actually does kind of help. <laughs> it's, it helps its, yeah. its poor victim out at least a little bit to right. keep it alive. It's better not to get it in the first place, but... Sure. You're screwed once it leaves the host, and it will inevitably leave you to lay its eggs, which, you know, it's just kind of, it's kind of cruel to, like, take someone's tongue and be like, I'm your tongue now, and then when you finally get used to it, it's like, well, see ya. It's like, but you're my tongue. Not anymore, I'm not. Bye. (laughs) The reason I keep saying she is actually it is the female isopod that does this. And it's got a really interesting life cycle. So they all start out as males uh, and enter into the fish gills where they'll feed off blood supply near the gills. But if a second uh, C. exigua enters into the gills, the first one transforms from being male into being female. And uh, they mate and then the male, you know, just, I think, leaves. And then the newly transformed female goes up and bites on the tongue and does that cool magic trick with the fish tongue that I'm talking about. So real interesting little creature, absolutely horrifying to anything in the ocean that has a tongue. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that would Super be horrible. my plans for the Vortex Queen's tongue. Uh, and then all you need to do, if she's not freaked out enough that she just leaves Earth because it's so horribly messed up, much more messed up than anything she could come up with as this like alien queen, you do need to attack her skull. And this is maybe my favorite one, <laughs> which... Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to hear how you're going to torture this, this boss. <laughs> well, look, so the Vortex Queen is a deep sea creature. She's adapted to the crushing depths of the ocean floor. So she can't have a solid, hard skull filled with gooey brain like humans do because it would collapse from the massive pressure of the bottom of the ocean to equalize. So if we went down, yeah, if we went down to the bottom of the ocean, our heads would collapse a little bit. Yeah, they'd be squished. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be squished. It might not look like, it wouldn't look like your whole face got squished in, but your skull would definitely crack and start letting mm-hmm. in water to equalize the pressure, which is bad for your brain. <laughs> yeah, this kills the person. <laughs> this <for sure>. kills <laughs> the person. Uh, so to survive the crushing depths of the ocean floor, animals who have evolved down there actually often have gaps in their skull uh, to help equalize that pressure. So... To illustrate this using like balls, like if you took a ping pong ball and somehow shoved it down into the bottom of the ocean, it would collapse because the huge PSI force of all of that stacks and stacks of water would be trying to equalize the pressure from inside the ball, which is filled with air, which is less dense. And so it crushes the ping pong ball. That's like your human skull. Maybe not quite because our 
unless you're a total airhead, literally filled with air, it wouldn't have <laughs> such a dramatic effect. Uh, but if you uh, drop a wiffle ball, which has a bunch of holes in it down to the bottom of the ocean, it's not going to collapse because inside the wiffle ball is just more water. And so the density of water is equal to the density of other water. So there's no pressure to have to equalize. So wiffle yeah, ball doesn't get crushed. Out. So if you have and a, the actual material itself doesn't get impacted, like the plastic of a wiffle ball. Yeah, it just depends on the material. So if you have a porous material like styrofoam, that actually gets crushed because all the air okay. inside the styrofoam gets squeezed. And so you can actually take a styrofoam cup, put it down in the bottom of the ocean. It comes back a little tiny mini cup. Oh, okay. <laughs> I used all right. To... So it, the material has to be like super solid, rigid, no pockets of air inside plastic that does not have air pockets in i think is sturdy enough to survive the bottom right. of the ocean bone sometimes may not be because bone is more porous so that might get more pressure and in fact with these deep sea animals they often have cartilage instead of hard bone so that they can move around and the pressure may uh, kind of bend their bones a little bit and push inwards but they're not as brittle as a sort of calcified bone so that they're just much more durable to that underwater pressure so what i'm saying is the uh, vortex queen's skull has to be uh, made at least partially out of cartilage and it's got to have gaps in it and so that means that these like ramming attacks that you do in the echo the dolphin game to like crush her skull i don't think would be very effective because it's like dude I'm already getting, you know, all of these, these, this pressure from the deep sea water. Like, you can't punch my skull in, basically, uh, with your, your puny dolphin powers. Instead, I think we need to use a hagfish's ability to bore a hole into the soft tissue of the vortex queen skull and eat it from the inside out. So... Hagfish. Whoa, I didn't know hagfish did that. <laughs> hagfish, well, they don't specifically look for brains, and typically they're looking for uh, dead or dying animals. But by the time this poor vortex queen has had her mouth and eyeballs taken care of, I think the hagfish would step in. That makes sense. It's in pretty rough shape at that, at that point. <laughs> hagfish have a horrifying name that matches their horrifying little bodies. They're pink, slimy, squirmy, eel-like primitive fish with no vertebral column and no jaw. They can grow around 20 inches or 50 centimeters long, which uh, is too much for me when I'm thinking about just holding one of these like pink slime worms. They look like worms. Uh, it's very uncomfortable. They're not worms. They are very primitive fish. So since they don't have jaws, they don't, you know, nom, nom, nom eat you know like a regular fish they have yeah. two plates covered in rows and rows of pointy teeth and they use these plates to grab and rasp flesh off of carrion or their sickly and dying victims uh, and when they've grabbed a nice piece of flesh and kind of gotten it sort of secured between these plates of teeth They'll often wiggle around in knots, like knot themselves around and rip big chunks off of their target. So a group of hagfish, have you ever wondered like what happens when a huge whale dies in the ocean? Like where does its body go? 
sometimes it washes up on the beach, but we don't have just constant littering dead whale bodies everywhere. So it has to go somewhere, right? Right. And it goes. So you get a good mix of hagfish and yes. crabs and stuff. I, crabs. I kind of always assume there's a bunch of crabs at the oh, bottom. Oh, crabs love a big big uh, cetacean body they they'll they love a big uh, whale body that's that's okay. like that's like tgi fridays for crabs um so <laughs> absolutely they the crabs are wonderful scavengers great at breaking down decomposing uh bodies in the ocean but hagfish are the unsung heroes of waste disposal they love a dead body they will get all in there you can see sometimes these ghostly corpses of a large whale and then just these hagfish darting in and out of the body as they kind of like tear out these holes and then go inside to the softer bits of the whale so uh and they're very slimy hagfish slime is this really thick it's almost like egg white texture it's so thick and gooey and in fact it's so full of proteins like some people i mean have suggested we could use that as like an alternative to egg white protein which you know uh, okay yeah <laughs> just like for breakfast just you know like good morning oh, i gotta gotta milk tasty hagfish omelet yeah i gotta milk the hagfish for its slime to make an omelet it's mucus <laughs> you know Maybe it's more eco-friendly. I don't know. Um, that may be our future where you just milk a hagfish for your breakfast. Uh, so wow. I, I think <laughs> a so much to look forward to. <laughs> what a bright future. Look, yes. maybe it's delicious. You just can't judge. Uh, so, yeah, I think that if you just set a bunch of hagfish on this poor, <laughs> this poor vortex queen, she's she's doomed. In a horrifying way. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That uh it seems like it would do it. I mean, I I guess there's probably be plenty of crabs also following and yes. uh, all sorts of other bottom feeder parasites. Oh, it'd be would, a party uh, down there. Pour into whatever hole this hagfish kind little, of can little like strobites like head. a anglerfish sort of using his, his lure as a stro <laughs> or lure as a strobe like. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, bioluminescent <laughs> rave. Let's go. <laughs> the Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. 
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Do you remember when that new Resident Evil game, like Resident Evil Villages came out, or Village, and uh, that giant vampire lady, uh, Lady (laughs) Dimitrescu, uh, just kind of took the internet by storm? Yes, I remember Twitter blowing up about that for sure. (laughs) It's quite a day. People love a giant, tall vampire queen, I guess. Apparently, there's a lot of simping going on on Twitter that day, was for sure. A lot of people had crushes on her. I guess it was like, because she could crush them. And that, <laughs> exactly. you know, that does it for people sometimes. Yeah, like some it, people, that's their thing. That's their thing. Yeah. A big, giant, deadly vampire queen, like the size of a giraffe. That I mean, look, I'm not here... To shame people for their preferences. Right. That's beyond me, but, you know, if that's, <laughs> if that's their thing. But, you that's... know, whether or not you want to take her out on a date, she definitely wants to kill and eat you. So yeah. she is a boss in the Resident Evil game. Uh, wow. I'm, that's definitely going to get picked up on audio, but whatever. Okay. So, yeah. um, uh, so if you haven't played the Resident Evil games, which maybe some of us haven't, including me, I wasn't very good at trying to hide the fact I haven't played this game. I was being like, just in case you have Yeah, I played like the real it. old one. I played like the, the GameCube one yeah. way back. Oh, yeah. Day, God. I haven't played the new ones. There was some version. I didn't play it, but I watched my brother play it back when I was a kid. And there was like a scene where one of the zombies was like slowly going up the stairs and you saw it from the zombies perspective. So yeah. you knew it was coming. I was like scared to use the stairs for a week afterwards. So <laughs> spooky. Yep. Uh, and I think I've got some rain and thunder going on. So perfect ambiance for this section, guys. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> so, in this Resident Evil game, the giant vampire lady, I think it's Dimitrescu, Dimitrescu, <laughs> looks like a very tall, well-dressed woman, and uh, she was infected with a fictional parasite called the Cadu parasite. So, I'm going to be Try to be really clear here, because the video game, the Resident Evil games deal with a lot of fictional like molds and parasites and kind of faux biology terms. And I'll try to clearly label that these are the fictional ones, but I'm going to talk about some real molds and fungus and parasites that I think could counteract these video game ones. So the the 
uh, Cadu Parasite somehow mutated her into a giant lady who needs to drink blood to survive. There's some sort of sciency schmiency explanation in the game. Doesn't really make sense. Um, but I, I love it. I'm not criticizing it. I, I love it when uh, <laughs> video games are like, yeah, and then here's this fungus that makes everyone vampires. Like, right on. Uh, yeah, and then let's go for it. Her minions are three lovely ladies who were also uh, surgically implanted with the Cadu parasite. Again, fake. This is all this is all fictional parasites, uh, which somehow merged their DNA with a swarm of blowflies, so they can like separate into swarms of blowflies and then coalesce back into ladies. Which you know, ooh, nasty. It's pretty cool. It's a cool. It's cool powers. I, I like. Yeah, uh, definitely useful. Yeah, um, especially if you got if you're there's like some doggy doo doo in your house. It's like don't worry, we'll get it. It's, boom, it's gone. No. Yeah, problem. they can make short work of that for sure. <laughs> so the Resident Evil series in general often combines folklore like vampires and werewolves with a sort of fake biology, like the cause of some freaky powers or mutations. Uh, is caused by something known as the mold, which is a fictional fungus that can somehow store genetic information and cause specific hallucinations as well as mutations to create horrible monsters. So this isn't really biologically feasible, but uh, let's fight the weird fantasy fungus with weird real-life fungus. So... I think this whole castle of uh, weird fungal uh, lady vampires could have been taken out by a smart mycologist. So a mycologist is someone who studies fungus, and there are let's fight, let's fight fungus with fungus. What do you say? Okay, sure. I, I can't <laughs> say I'm super well versed in mycology. I mean, but neither I'm here am for I. It. I okay. uh, relied a lot on, um, you know mycology monthly for this research excellent i respect it uh most of what i know about fungus is like pretty much just the the cordyceps fungus which is yes the kind that controls insect brains yes and the and the the basis for the video game the last of us yes absolutely because the zombies in that game are are fungal as well that is one of my favorite of the parasitic fungus uh, so actually those kinds of fungus that will eat insects and paras be parasites on an insect are called entomopathogenic funguses. Entomo, <laughs> let me try that one more time. Entomopathogenic fungus. There we go. Yeah. That's a mouthful. En entomo, like entomology, meaning yes. insect and patho, pathogenic, meaning like, disease. Yeah, yeah exactly. The uh, cordyceps are one of many species of fungus that kills and eats insects by attaching to the insect's body as spores uh, and then germinating and colonizing under the insect's cuticle, uh, which is that exoskeletal structure that functions as their skin. So uh, often these entomopathic pathogenic fungi will use enzymes to bore holes into the insect's body and then grow throughout the body cavity. Ooh, so, so we have chemical warfare now. Exactly. That's how we're going to beat the boss with chemicals. <laughs> Sweet. All right, bring us home, entomopathogenic uh, <laughs> fungi. Let's get there. 
Sometimes you'll see like insects barely managing to crawl around where half of them have been eaten by some kind of fungus. Usually it'll be like a white or gray fuzzy mold. It's so creepy. So like you mentioned, cordyceps can infect ant brains and cause them to climb up tree branches, like dig into the branch with their mandibles to get a nice secure hold before they die in spectacular fashion as a fruiting body of the fungus just explodes from their head. So we've got a lot of really interesting species of entomopathogenic fungi, but we want one that will be really bad for blowflies, right? Because we've got these two, her minions, the Lady Demetriscu's minions, turn into a swarm of blowflies, which is hard to stab with a knife. It's hard to fight. Oh, okay. So, but it presents a unique weakness right. that you can exploit. That's interesting. I would have not thought about using, kind of turning its its special ability against itself. Like yes, that. we Very exactly. Clever. So, uh, the there's this species of entomopathogenic fungi called Bovaria bassiana, which is a beautiful name. I feel like it like sounds. Sounds like one of these names from Resident Evil to me, like Lady Dimitrescu. It's like the Bovaria bassiana fungus uh, coming in to... Uh, right. Know. I mean, who knows? Maybe that's how they got their names. Right. Maybe if we look up the Dimitrescu fungus, maybe that's a thing. <laughs> who knows? Uh, so this fungus with its beautiful name is very dangerous to blowflies. It is so efficient at killing blowflies and other species of flies and pests. It is often used as a biological pesticide. So it grows throughout the insect, leaving behind a hollowed out carcass covered in white mold, which often collects and spills out at the joints, if not completely overwhelming the carcass of the insect. So I have included a picture of a blowfly that looks like it's just covered in white fluff. I see. It looks like it, like it's covered in snow or something. Yeah, like it just went. It like tumbled down a mountain and became a <laughs> snowball. <laughs> right, like in a cartoon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, that is white mold that has completely subsumed and devoured this poor little blowfly. I think this fungus would make quick work of the minions. And so on to killing Lady Dimitriscu herself. Uh, So I looked up on another fan wiki thing, because I have not played these games. I'm a fake nerd. Um, No, I I just don't. I haven't played that game either. I simply do not have a PS5 or whatever you would need for these games. PS5 is pretty hard to come by, so I don't blame you. (laughs) So... uh, the fictional Cadu parasite uh, is a parasitic nematode spliced with this mysterious, powerful mold that causes all these human mutations in the Resident Evil world. So while the game version of the parasitic nematode isn't necessarily that accurate in terms of like, you can't really just splice its dna with mold i don't it's two different kingdoms guys <laughs> different yeah. uh, <laughs> uh That's a tough but, hybrid to make for sure yeah but there are real life parasitic nematodes 
And, of course, there are real-life predators of nematodes, and some of those predators are mushrooms. It all comes back to mushrooms. So, in the Resident Evil game, to defeat the big bad, Lady Dimitrescu, I cannot pronounce that name. Uh, Is it Dimitrescu? Is it French? It seems like it would be French, but I have never studied French, so I'm not going to attempt it. I mean, it takes place in Eastern Europe, but I don't know. Well, I I did take Russian, but it doesn't (laughs) look like a Russian name to me. It doesn't. There's not enough conflicting consonants in it. (laughs) So... Uh, you, but to defeat her, you need a specific dagger imbued with monster killing toxins that are never specified. But hey, if you lose this dagger or butterfingers and drop it, then you're screwed. Um, except maybe you could just go out and forage for some nice oyster mushrooms. So oyster mushrooms make a nice meal for humans, uh, but they like to feed on nematodes. So it seems a little weird for something like a fungus to be a carnivore, but they absolutely can be. So uh, they will use droplets of toxins that paralyze the nematode, then slowly digest them using the hyphae, which are these branching filaments that take in nutrients for the fungus. So they're kind of like plant roots. They're not... So fungus fungi are not plants. They don't have the same kinds of structures that plants do. But these hyphae do function a little bit like roots because they will suck in nutrients for the fungus. Yeah. How so, does it find these nematodes? I mean, nema- they're, they nematodes can't move, just, right? Like, live in the, they live in the soil where these mushrooms are. So uh, Okay, so they're just so ubiquitous that yeah, they can just be wherever. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but if that doesn't sound uh, powerful enough, like if you throw some oyster mushrooms at her or make her eat some like you don't think that's going to work. There's a lot of different mushrooms that are in line to uh, kill nematodes, and they have some really dastardly methods of doing so. Sometimes they will have booby-trapped fungal spores that will develop spikes and lodge themselves in the throats of nematodes, killing them and devouring them as they germinate. So. The the nematode will eat this little spore. They think it's delicious, and then it just like sh- starts to like grow out these hyphae into the nematode's throat and just devours it completely. There's also uh, you could gift a lady Dimitrescu with a necklace of giant Arthrobotyrus. So Arthrobotyrus is uh, perfect for killing a vampiric nematode mutant with a sense of fashion uh, because uh, Arthrobotyrus uses fungal spores shaped like necklaces that ensnare nematodes and shoot spikes into the nematode's body as it grows into it and devours them. So you've got options is what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah. So we have chemical warfare. We have these booby traps. We have so many. These these fungus are definitely equipped to do some damage for sure. Yeah. In the game, you have this mysterious mold that gives them all these powers. It's like, well, guys, there's like more than one species of mold out there. There are many fungi out yeah. there ready to party. So, you know, mutually assured fungus destruction that... <laughs> 
could definitely yeah. take out some of these vampire queens. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, do you think these animals could indeed defeat these video game bosses? Or which of these bosses do you think would actually come out on top? Bowser is definitely, like, I would say fairly evenly matched with a crocodile. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's got a chance. He's so spiky. He's, yeah. There's a lot of ways Bowser can deal damage, but I think if the crocodile is playing his cards right, um, it could certainly get a good strike on Bowser's weak point or one of his limbs. Yeah, but it's really a fair mess fight. Him up. Yeah. It is. Bowser's bigger. I'd, yeah. But nobody's uh, for in the... that situation. <laughs> Potentially not. Um, for the the deep sea vortex boss, vortex queen, is that what it was yes. called? Um, that thing's just in for a world of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> if what you're doing is is gonna come to pass, if these parasites actually can do what you said uh, to this alien creature, I would not want to be that. I think it has no chance. I feel uh, like however... it would just be psyched out after the first attack. Yeah, if I was the if I was the vortex queen, I'd be like, I'll find another planet. It's fine. <laughs> you can keep your keep your, your parasites to yourself. Dolphins and your weird eyeball parasites. Exactly. Um, as for uh, vampire lady, I think if you can get the fungus to the the vampire, then you certainly got got a shot, right? Yeah. Um, but Considering they're not motile, uh, I think you need a good mes- method of delivering these right. fungal-based toxins and, and right. poisons and things. You got to put them in a salad, you know, a nice salad and be like, here. Sure. Here's yeah, a nice I salad. suppose that could work. I know you drink blood primarily, but, you know, it's good to get some fiber. It, very true. Very true. I would not... Uh, I'm curious to see how how that affects their digestive tract. These vampires. <laughs> Do vampires need fiber? I don't know. I wouldn't want to have no fiber in my diet. So yeah. And blood sounds like it doesn't have much. So I don't think so. No. It would be tough. <laughs> Well, I, I think that's gonna do it for video game bosses. Uh, I think honestly, right. they're gonna have a tough, tough time against these animals. But before we go. I do want to reveal the answer to last week's Guess Who's Talking Mystery Animal Sound Game. So every week I play a mystery animal sound at the end of the episode and you all try to guess what is making that sound. Um, And so the hint for last week was that this may sound like a machine gun, but unless you're an insect... The only thing you'll really have to worry about is getting smacked in the face by its enormous, beautiful tail. To me, that sounds like a like a blaster from like a video game, like a yeah, it does, like a laser, like blaster. a laser gun. Yeah. What do you think is making that sound? Uh, I think it's got to be some sort of like mockingbird, mm. or maybe a parrot. Some sort of really, really good mimic of sounds. Which, in my experience, tend to be birds. Well, that is a great guess because the answer is that this is the mating call of a brown sicklebill, which is a beautiful bird of paradise found in New Guinea. Females have a rusty red head and a black body, whereas males have bright blue spots on their backs and white underbellies and super long ornamental tails that are gorgeous. 
And they are just such a fancy looking bird to be making like machine gun noises. I find the difference in their overall appearance of like, oh, it's a beautiful bird of paradise. And then just like. Right. That's super interesting. <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. <laughs> like, how yeah, did they think yeah. of that sound to me? <laughs> Congratulations to the first three listeners to guess correctly. Abby M, Anna L.A., and Jesse Asika. Great job, you guys. I feel like you guys are better at this game than I would be if I was playing on the other end. So really great job, you guys. I have such smart listeners. Now on to our next mystery animal sound for next week. Uh, the hint is that it sounds like a collaboration between a biologist, a heavy metal band, and a hairdresser. <laughs> So do you have any guesses for what this mystery animal is? Mm. I, I mean, I want to say it's a bird again. It sounds like, I don't know, a parrot. It's like a really angry parrot. My grandma <laughs> had a parrot and it was always making super weird loud noises. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go with some sort of parrot or some cockatoo. kind of angry parrot. Well, the answer will be revealed next week if you tune in next oh, Wednesday okay, for okay. Creature Feature. <laughs> That's how I get you. And All right, I'll be there. I got to know. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Patch. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. The Tear Zoo YouTube channel is absolutely amazing. Really wonderful um, way to learn about some evolutionary biology and feel like you're playing a video game. <laughs> so glad you like it. But other than the YouTube channel, where can people find you? Yeah, so youtube.com slash You can also find me on Twitter at at, at tierzoo. Um, I'm also, I also have a few things on TikTok, Instagram. Uh, if you just search tierzoo, you should be able to find them. Uh, but that's about it. That's uh, the extent of my online presence, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> should do it, yeah. <laughs> um. And you can find, if you want to write in what you think the answer is to the mystery animal sound or any of your questions or comments or concerns, you can write at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com, creaturefeaturepod on Instagram, or creaturefeetpod on Twitter. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That is something very different. And, uh,. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for listening. If you want to rate or review the podcast, I read all the reviews and they bring so much joy to my heart. Uh, and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exo Lumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Where have you listened to your favorite shows? See you next Wednesday. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.